The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. Okay, today we're talking about do you need to travel to experience and know, understand another culture? I say you do. Alan says you don't. But um, it's a it's an nah. exciting it's an exciting day for me because to give the listeners a little bit of context, it's Australia Day for Alan, and uh, Australia Day. Well, I'm in Colombia, so we're two Australians. Yeah, and it's Australia Day for Alan, and it's Australia Day. Well, I'm I'm in Colombia, but it's it's I'm about oh what 14 hours behind Alan, so it's the 25th of January, 2022 for me, and um, it's a historic day for me because six years ago on this very day, I flew from uh, Sydney Airport to Colombia to basically live and work abroad. Uh, during that time. Um, I've transitioned from being a volunteer basically to a full-time English teacher and I'm currently working at, a, at, a, at an international school in Colombia and it's, it's cool. So the question is, I guess, um, you know, do you really need to travel to experience the culture and community? Uh, do travelers really have an appreciation, a sense of understanding of, of a particular country, of a particular culture, of their history? Or is it really just a capitalistic venture and we all kind of are just brainwashed to believe that traveling is the way, um, is, is a dignified, indulgent uh, pastime hobby experience that rich people or like the, the wealthy rich countries do because we can. Yeah. Okay. Well, I kind of take offense. I take offense because you keep on putting, I feel like Jordan Peterson right now. I never said that. I never said any of those words. Um, <laughs> all right, let's clarify. I, I'm choosing to um, partake in, uh, you know, this is a weird sort of format today. It's midweek. As you said, it's Australia Day for me. For Australia, I'm going to say. I feel like I've gone full skeptic. I feel like I've gone full skeptic. <laughs> so I'm going to play like devil's advocate against everything. So it's not Australia Day for me. It's Australia Day for Australia. Um, um, Steve's argument that I, I, I can't argue that I believe that you probably could delve into quite um, naturally and um, genuinely into the cultures, the language, um, the ideals, the ethics of a culture um, quite well without actually having to, to travel to that country. And I, I would definitely argue that it's um, just another consumer, consumer product. Like historically, if you, if you study history in general, um, you know, as soon as someone creates a product, um, everyone jumps on it and creates a capitalist venture out of it. So that's, of course, it's a capitalist product, tourism, traveling to another country. So where, where do you think the need to travel actually comes from? And is, is it something that, you know, it's, it's a, a genuine real need or is it something that we're kind of conditioned to think that it's attractive? Mm. That's interesting because, you know, when... It's, we, we, we flipped we flipped with um we flipped personalities pretty much when i was up until about 26 27 i was my my mind is where you're at now like i wish i'd, I'd traveled i don't wish but at that time i had wished i wanted to travel i wanted to go to germany i, I studied german uh french i wanted to go to europe 
Um, I love the idea of travel. Just get anywhere but this country. Um, and you probably never thought about it. You're probably the exact opposite. And now we've kind of flipped personalities and you're like living the dream, actually doing it with the means and actually have studied and put yourself there and have done it. So have the evidence, the experience and all that under your belt where I have simply just stayed here. Um, the, the skeptic, the vat and the brain, um, uh, sorry, the brain and the vat, the brain and the vat just like can't and um, haven't left my hometown pretty much. Well, not within 50 kilometers, 50 kilometers of my hometown. Okay. But like, where did that desire to travel actually come from? Like, do you think that's something that's innate and to, to want to experience different cultures because you were attracted to say mm -hmm. the German culture or was it because yeah. it's a trendy thing to do and, and that's what educated aristocrats used to do. And that's what educated cool people mm -hmm. do. And that's why we do it. I probably, my, my argument there, I, I digress as always, uh, was the concept of um, uh, rebellious youth, the concept of a rebellious youth. You know, we grew up being taught one thing, being told this is the way life is. And then we look outside for anything to, you know, show us something different. We think anything else must be the truth, you know. Yeah. And I've always had a skeptical mindset. So pretty much I've always um, gone against the grain of what people have told me. Yeah. Okay. Well, I definitely agree with that. I think it comes from a biological urge to kind of um, explore experience, experience, you know, uh, have adventures and also like to, to spread our genes, right? Like it's kind of like if we, if we stay within the nest and we never leave outside of the nest, we never develop our own identities. We never, we don't have the opportunity to grow as an individual and we dampen or diminish the opportunity to, um, to meet maybe a, a partner, you know, and to reproduce. So I think it's engraved, like it's, it's innate within our biology that's to kind of want to explore. And that's why young kids want to do, do things. Right. Well, you can talk like that. Like, um, you know, I've watched like movies based on um, like medieval times or TV series based on medieval times or ancient times when people would travel distances to go to festivals, to, you know, find a, find a mate or find, go to a new tribe it's like several tribes from different areas would, would travel long distances for some great, you know, Wicker Man kind of festival. And um, that could be a sense of travel in that, in that case. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, new groups of people. I think it's just getting out of the, um, out of the traditional pack, out of the traditional community, you know, and it's really interesting too. Like, you know, when you go traveling and you're, when you when you walk into a different society and a different group of people it's just like you 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 so don't belong you know you, and if you're an australian for example and you're in england and you speak the language and you're like oh and you just you you uh stop some girl on the street and just oh excuse excuse me where's the where's the local pub around here you know and so yeah you know like if you just stop some girl on the street then uh, you know and, and you you start talking it's really obvious that you don't belong there and there's something really attractive and interesting about being that person like you're you're from another place you're another culture you know maybe you speak the, the same language but you speak it differently uh, you know it, it's it's really interesting when there's a where there's fresh kind of blood i wonder if that's also like a, another biological innate trait that we attracted to people that are genetically very different you know different blood so that you know our, our offspring can be stronger but you know it's it's i don't know i think the innate I think we do have an innate desire to travel, uh, but I also think that it's, you know, it's, it's part of a desire to experience culture as well. So I think we do have an innate desire to travel 
And, but I also think that it's, you know, it's, it's part of a desire to experience culture as well. So then if, if you're living in one particular culture, then it's, it's attractive to go and learn about another culture and learn an, another language and, and experience what they, how they live their lives. Maybe that's like, like trying to take everything to its logical conclusion, which isn't going to happen anytime quickly, but to try and jump straight to the logical conclusion logical conclusion um you think you think that it would be an an adverse idea for people to travel because if you want to go back through evolutionary time and put us back in tribal circumstances or uh small family units or small city states or whatever you were were quite comfortable around the people that you were you were around and um you fit in quite nicely within the community and they looked after you they protected you that's the protection you had and um I know plenty of words, ostracism, scapegoating. These are all sort of like ancient concepts of um, kicking the individual out of the town, which would kind of lead to um, exposure to the elements at at best or um, being attacked, being taken in as a slave, um, you know, being manipulated, being, being part of a, this is part of the topic we should talk about today, but being part of a sovereign state is is the most important thing that we have that, that protects our rights and protects our freedoms. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that links in, that links in really nicely because the reason why people don't travel is I think they feel that sense of uh, that that sense of community, maybe conformity to a degree, but definitely a sense of safety. And you know, when you're part of an identity and when you're part of a group of people, um, and you feel very comfortable and you know the language, then I think that we we feel safe with that because when you're in another country, you're definitely you're definitely vulnerable in lots of regards. Like if I get, you know, if I'm in Russia and I get pulled over, I don't know how to speak Russian. So the police can do whatever they want. And I just have to assume they're gonna they're gonna protect me and not not um, take advantage of my vulnerabilities. Uh, so there's definitely there's definitely um, I, I think it's a it's a comfort zone at some point. And it's it's a comfort zone that is it's social conditioning and your survival definitely definitely increases if you're in a safe environment. Um, but I think genetically, I think we're, we're, I'm not sure if this is true, but I've heard that we're actually stronger if we kind of mix genes, because I, I've heard that we pick up on the defenses of our, our partner and our genes kind of mix together. And that could be a, create a stronger version of ourselves. Um, Maybe that might've been in your book, 11, chapter three, you read that? No, <laughs> I'm just saying. If, if you have read it anywhere as a scientific theory, and it's just the opinion of one man, maybe they might have that one person. They may, they may have done some <clears throat> uh, pretty tight statistical studies, but there's no proof or evidence to, pr- to prove anything like that. There that is none. Okay, so proof. that's a some kind of um, old wives' tale then. Yeah, no, yeah, no, I'm that... saying that, 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 no, no, that, that, that there probably is quite a few studies out there that sort of say. You know, there's evidence that suggests this, or you know, we've we've done a thousand people test, and we've we've asked them these questions, and these is the summary. But at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be someone else that can do the exact opposite summary. It's not it's not like rigorous mathematics. It's, it's right. So there's no definitive like axiomatic truth that one is yes. right or yeah. yeah there's, there's no there's no solid mathematical theory or high. It's like it's to humanity's kind of pursuit here. We're not we're talking about science or maths. Right. That's, that's yeah. good that you put in that disclaimer for the listeners out there that think I'm, I'm qualified to talk about science. I'm really not qualified yeah. to talk about science at any regard, but um, we do, we yeah, do sure. have, 
yeah, we do. We can Google the shit out of it. Maybe that's that's the best. Most, most, most people talking truths is a problem, but um, I, I do agree. I, I agree with what you say. I do agree with that with that topic, but um, I think it's, it's such a complex topic that there's so many like different layers which are in, 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 in involved. Um, <clears throat> I'll play the devil's advocate still and say that we feel safer. It's, it's a miracle to think of the modern day state. How the, how can such a complex um, civilization of 8 billion people um, be in a state where I can go to any country in the world and flaunt about like an idiot feeling comfortable just because the, 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 gov the government of Australia, the sovereign nation of Australia has um, guaranteed my safety around the planet. That to me, yeah, is in most countries, in most countries, beautiful, yes. really beautiful. It's incredible in, in on pretty much all countries. Um, yeah. Okay. The, the risk is that I might get bashed up. That happens here too. But, you know, most likely if you're in another country, they're going to go, he's an Aussie, leave him alone kind of thing. I'm pretty sure. Well, absolutely. Because with the Australian passport and with any passport from a developed, um, from a developed country, it comes a sense of status and power that usually most country, most citizens understand that maybe they're somewhat, I don't want to use the word intimidated, but they're at least respectful of it. You know, I'll, I'll speak for what happens in Colombia. You know, if you're an Australian citizen or you're American or you're Canadian, as soon as you show a police officer, your passport, they're like, ah, gringo. Okay. And they, they don't want to mess with you. They don't want to, they don't want to put you in jail. They might want to bribe, they might want to bribe out of you, like i'm not saying that all police officers are corrupt but you know they, they might want to exploit you somehow because they know that you you have dollars but um generally speaking that a lot of police officers in, in colombia let's say or even people on the street don't want to get into to they're not they're not gonna they're not gonna try to kidnap you or or um or maybe rob you yes but don't want to get into anything really serious because they know that investigations will happen. They know that it will become political. They know that it will become, they, and they know that it will become news and they know that there will be an invest investigation and they, and somebody will pay a price and whether it's the right person or not, is a different matter, but somebody will be thrown in jail for a long time. If, if an Australian is killed in Colombia. Now, if a Colombian kills a Colombian, Usually, lots of times nothing happens or a Colombian kills a Venezuelan or a Venezuelan. I won't say, I shouldn't say lots of times, but the chances of things happening and the, the and actual punishment, there's a lot of, a lot of unsolved murders in Colombia and a lot of missing people. It's really scary. A lot of missing children. And, um, you know, when you're out in the Colombia is, is, is like, I don't know, I want to say around 75% um, natural natural earth, uh, undeveloped landscape, you know, so it's all beautiful, you know, jungles and bushland and, and, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, there's all sorts of things that happen out there and, and there's not enough police to govern all of it. And those things remain unsolved forever. So yeah, we do have a certain status. I think that's really worth noticing and respecting when you travel overseas that, um, we're protected by for good or bad on your side and that perspective again is like if I, if I as you said you meet someone in the street you hear an accent and you, you sort of like oh that's an interesting accent it sort of piques your interest and you you sort of want to go and talk to them whether they're they're male or female you know male you, you might learn something about their country their history their tradition female you may get to procreate you may spread those genes or whatever if you want to speak so um empirically um through the biological so, lenses that i love <laughs> So, 
Yeah, my, my argument is pretty much, um, I'd say through the majority of time, it would be safer for us to have stayed in our city state. Leaving it would have been detrimental. Uh, our nation yeah, state. Definitely, his, definitely oh. historically, 100%. Yeah, historically, 100%. Um, but um, there, there's, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and I, I think that's definitely worth recognizing, you know, but it's it's kind of really strange because, you know, Alan is is literally in some some house in Western Sydney or, and I'm in uh, some apartment in Bogota, Colombia, and we're, we're communicating via, you know, a digital platform, the internet, all of that kind of cool technology. And it's it, it hasn't even been a hundred years since the world has opened up to the possibility of jumping on an airplane and flying to any part of the world and and having that option to, to live in another country or to really immerse yourself in not just one country, but multiple countries. And I, I find that you know, it's so fascinating because I feel like there are so many countries that are untouched, so many cultures that are untouched. And for a lot of people economically, I would say probably the majority of the world doesn't have the people do not have the final financial capacity to just pack up and leave and travel and live in another country. Um, so we, we have access to this amazing opportunity to just jump on an airplane and immerse yourself in another country, a language, culture, um, another environment. And it's, 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 there's something really pure and, and magnificent about that. Um, so I don't know. I feel like my argument would be is that if that's available to someone to, as a way of experiencing the world, and as a way of learning and growing and developing insight and awareness, you know, why would you not find that attractive? And, um, First of all, I'd say, you know, you think of people like Alexander the Great and uh, maybe Sumerian emperors, kings, uh, Julius Caesar, the Roman Empire, you know, the idea of uh, conquest and glory and uh, conquering other city-states, traveling the world that by means like that. There's the, the Crusades. The, the Crusades took the, the Europeans into the, the Middle East. Um, of course, you've got, um, what's his name? Columbus, where you are, he um he took the the, the Spanish and the Portuguese to um South America, uh, yeah. colonized a new world. Um, I think there was a big thing for the middle for pe people of the middle middle class throughout the 16th, 1700s, 1800s to um do like a year. I think they call it like a, a Erasmus year now after Erasmus. De, de, uh, a guy called yeah de, Erasmus, an author from the Enlightenment period. Um, to travel Europe and just to go through Europe and look at all the ancient uh, monuments, the ancient Roman ruins, the ancient Greek Roman ruins, um, do as you said, you know, meet people, uh, learn about their culture, um, learn about the world. It's the university of life. So, um, yeah, the modern world definitely bears pros and cons for both of them. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably there are probably more pros for traveling, I'd say. Yeah, if you can afford it. Yeah, one of your arguments that you've thrown at me in the past is is that you know people travel and it's kind of like a hedonistic venture. It's it's a it's a way for for countries you know to make money basically through tourism, um, and it's indulgence and it's it's people are having these oh, very superficial type ships. experiences. Yeah, like cruise ships is a good example where they're having a very superficial type experience. They're protected in a bubble. They're not really interacting with locals. 
um, not really learning anything about the culture. There is a, there's a language barrier. So they, they're unfortunately cut off from really speaking to people. The, the locals that they're, they're exposed to aren't really um, a representation of a typical type of citizen in that culture that they're someone that's maybe modified. Well, maybe they're kind of adapted and they're speaking a bit of their, you know, the, another language. You know, it can be a very superficial type experience. And, I, and I've definitely had those type of experiences where um, you go to a country and you might be just, as an Australian, you might be just binge drinking and, and partying and, and trying to meet girls and, and, you know, meeting other travelers. And it's all about spontaneity and, and, and having fun and going on adventures. But how much of that is really satisfying, you know? And in my, in my defense, I would argue that as a, as a traveler, I think I've experienced lots of that, but I think I moved through it. Like I, you know, I, I don't, the more and more that I traveled, the less and less it was about alcohol and the more it was about learning the, about the culture and the people and a little bit of the language and becoming more aware and wanting to stay in certain parts of, of certain countries for longer amounts of time and, and just asking better questions, learning about the politics, learning about governments, learning about the, the, the hardship or trials and tribulations of the people you know, but I think that takes time. Maybe young people have to, you know, it, it mature through, you know, because it's a, it's a big deal. The first time you go to Europe and, you know, you, you, you get off a plane and you're in Munich, Germany with a backpack and you, you know, go to a backpack hostels, backpack hostels and you're partying and meeting people. And, you know, you're not that concerned about, you know, you're just, just so overwhelmed with the, the euphoria of the, the experience that you, you sometimes you don't stop and think about what am I actually doing here and how can I better appreciate this experience? Your position there. Well, at the moment, my current job is as being a, being a tradesman. I'm in someone's house, some, someone new every day. I meet someone new every day. So I get to talk to them, ask them questions. If they're social enough, we can have a decent conversation, but usually people unload on you about what they know and they tell you everything about their story. So that, that's fun. That's enlightening. Um, but at the age when you were traveling over to Europe, um, you know, I was over here sort of like trying to meet old people from the second world war and trying to meet people who could tell me interesting stories about world history and things like that. So I was spending my time talking to people from all over the world. Um, I would do it now, but there's less and less of them. But still, you know, if I if I meet someone who seems like they may have an interesting story, I'll take the time out to 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 yeah, definitely converse with them. Um, but um, I think it's all in your head in that sense. Yeah, it is. I've, I have traveled. I've traveled to China, but I don't think I really learnt. I, I I always tried to be present. I remember being there, going, you know. I wasn't enjoying it, but I was sort of like, you know, just you've got to be open and present to the moment and sort of realize the, you know, the beauty and, and the, the, the differences in everything. And my mind just couldn't make that switch. It just, it just felt like I was in a, a crappier version of Australia. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess there's a couple of things there. And I think your first um, idea that you shared is really powerful. So you're in Australia, and although you're not, you're not in Auschwitz, you're not in Germany, and you're not visiting concentration camps. You're still trying to absorb mm -hmm. the history, and, yeah, and culture and experiences of people that have have experienced real history, and it's the real human experience of that history, which is amazing, right? It's, so it's I think there's a yeah, yeah, and I think that's amazing that you've you've got to have those conversations and you've got to meet those people. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's, it's a way of honoring history, culture, as I said, the human experience uh, and, and suffering um, and like by people that have actually lived, lived there, you know, and that's, I think that's powerful. Um, maybe there's a balance in, in the sense of going somewhere and being present. Maybe that's, maybe that's the trick is going somewhere, being present, absorbing the history, looking at things and understanding what they really are. And maybe you don't always enjoy yourself, but you're kind of seeing the reality and it might, maybe it's a blend of being physically, you're, you're physically in a different place and you're talking to different people. And it's, I don't know, maybe the experience is, is there's multiple layers of the, the traveling experience that um, can impact you depending on your state of mind, so to speak. Interesting, actually. Um, now, 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 my argument that I have with myself is I'd love to, uh, uh, what do you call it? I'd love to visit, visit ancient Rome or ancient Athens or, or some place like that where there's plenty of um, aesthetic architecture and, um, and a bit of the history of the history of you know the downfall or the rise, the the quotidian moments of, of the of the day of of the, of the time. Um, but um, my, my argument always is I feel like I have to learn about it too much of it before I go. I feel like I have to know so much about the topic before I go. So I make the most of it. And yeah. as you were talking, as, as you were talking, then I was having this dialogue in my head. Um, and I remember I was actually reading Epictetus. Epictetus is this um, Stoic philosopher from about you know, 50 AD. So this is um, ancient, ancient Rome already. And he's talking about the exact same thing he's like you know you go to these um ancient ancient temples you know back in his day there were ancient ancient temples like going to the um the pyramids or something and you go there and you know you've waited your whole life to go there but when you go there you know it's hot it's muggy there's too many people um you know the the food stands crowded you can't get to the food um the people around you are, are, are rude annoying um every, everything kind of doesn't kind of go your way um I don't really have an argument for this particular topic, but it's kind of interesting to sort of, you know, read that from someone from that period, you know. You know. Yeah, um, that's very in insightful from Epictetus at that point, um, because it's what is he talking about there is the expectations versus the reality. Um, mm -hmm. And maybe, yeah, the expectations of what the, that experience is going to be and, and compared to it's a, it's a tourist trap, you know, that's like you said, there's the there's the physiological elements um, but let me ask you this. This is I find this interesting is that when you were talking about going to, you know, when you were in China, why did you feel like it was kind of like an, an ordinary version of, of, of Australia? Did you find, were you in kind of really built up, um, you know, high density residential um, spaces that just felt chaotic? And like, did you go to places in China that really, you know, you were able to see that maybe some historic buildings and, and different culture and, and experience, I don't know, something special about China or did you just feel it was just chaos and you, you were doing more of the mundane things? No, 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 no. We experienced pretty much the whole panoply, everything, you know, we went and saw the, the big crowded mega cities, the, which, which is like, you know, hell on earth kind of thing. Billions of people sort of just... <laughs> coalesced or you know uh squashed against each other um went to all the temples you know the 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 forbidden city the summer summer kingdom or whatever um whatever whatever you know temples and um monuments they had there there was the uh 
the sarcophagi of the Ming dynasty, people there went to the Great Wall of China and they, they were probably the most mundane and boring places that I can imagine going to. Like I, I, I could have sworn seeing Tiananmen Square. I could have thought, I would have sworn seeing Tiananmen Square and the Forbidden City would have been great, but it was just, um, it's like a bad documentary because I'm physically having to exert my, myself and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard work walking that far and organizing things, getting, getting things ready, making sure you have enough food, you're exhausted by the end of the day, where um, I can sit back and I can watch a movie based on it. And it's, it's, it's quite an easy thing to do and it's all in HD kind of thing. But on that note, um, the, the one moment that kind of touched me the most when I was in China was um, we, we went back to um, Maureen's grandparents' hometown. So it's her hometown, they call it hometown. And um, it was a four-hour drive away from the city. You drove through mountains, drove on this mega highway forever in the middle of nowhere. And eventually we were in like... It was almost like going back into like you know feudal times, like 500 years ago. They had they had an oxen pulling a pulling a what wow. do you call it a pl- a plow through the through the soil. You could see it, it had already done it you know 50 times that that day. They had outdoor toilet which you had to crouch on. Um, they were right on the river and that's where they were planting all their food. They were subsistence farmers. Obviously, they were selling part of what they were making, but most of the food they would eat themselves and. That was probably the most exciting part of the whole situation that I experienced. Hmm. And what did you what did you appreciate about those moments? Just the realness of it. That was that was different. That was that was real. That was beyond. Like the problem with today's day and age is everywhere you go, everyone has a phone, everyone has a TV, everyone has the same house or shopping center or that kind of thing. Going to that place. It was like nothing I'd kind of been to before. It was, it, you wouldn't call it poverty, but it, it was poverty for us. But it was more just like the average daily, eight daily life for someone five hundred years ago. It was a, it was it was literal his, history, like his, walking back into history, pretty much. Yeah, like walking back in time. Yeah, seeing it like as I was saying before, like I was in town, town square. I was I was in these places that I know the history of quite well, where plenty of um, you know, the the Republic Republic of China was you know decreed there back in forty nine or forty eight or forty nine, I think it was, and that's a huge event. And I'm standing there and I'm just going, I'm empty. I can't feel a single thing. You know, for me, it's almost like it'd be like going to Auschwitz or going to um somewhere like Berlin and then not, and not feeling a thing. But going to this village where you can see the way of life hasn't changed for 500 years or 2000 years or whatever that sort of really kind of that's where the travel really probably really stung me yeah i could really understand the purpose in that yeah it's very humbling Mm. i think and what i've Mm. realized in those situations that it's just by mere chance that i was not born in that village Like you, you could have well, been, you could have been in that village. It could have been you, you know, like Maureen's dad was born in that village and he he left and went to the city. So, mm. yeah, exactly. And I've, I've felt that too. Like when I've worked at, um, when I was volunteering in Colombia and I worked at this public school and there was all these kids and they lived in like really low strata areas and they're really poor. They didn't catch the bus cause they didn't have money. Um, and they'd work, walk to school and they'd walk for sometimes for an hour or two hours, even longer to get to the school. And I'd, you know, it just, I felt like, wow, I could have been one of these kids, you know, it just, 
but you know that aside i think there is something beautiful and humbling about that because it's it's they're very pure moments and they're connected to nature they're connected to the to the earth uh the environment they're away from the toxicity of um social conditioning like the society and the art of the artificial nature of society like you said they're not on their cell phones they're just they're in the moment the only thing that matters is the sun coming up and planting those seeds and you know cutting that food uh bringing back those things washing those things they're, they're so in the moment because the illusions of society is, has been stripped away and it's just them and a connection with the ground and with uh with nature and the earth and i think there's something beautiful about that Definitely. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. Did you have any other moments in China where you really were kind of humbled, or is that the? No, not really. No, I did not. Did not feel the presence at all. As, as we've had our arguments before. Like, um, my argument against travel is, um, I think of people like, um, are you ready to go into this tangent? Sure. Um, um, people like, uh, what's his name, Isaac Newton, or um. Immanuel Kant, very famous philosopher, who tied up, you know, uh, two very complex concepts of um, of philosophical thought. Um, these are two geniuses. Even Johannes Kepler. A lot of these people didn't leave. Okay, the, the first two people, Newton and Kant, didn't leave within like a fifty-kilometer radius of their hometown, but they pretty much discovered the secrets of the universe. You know, Einstein. You know, pretty much discovered gravity uh you know proved kind of the light theory um you know force equals mass times acceleration uh created calculus he, he pretty much created the universe without leaving his hometown and um people people telling me i have to travel to another country to find out who i am um it doesn't really i understand the paradox or the you know we were talking opposites the other day the yin-yang kind of thing i can get that but I don't know. I think if you study hard enough and you focus hard enough in your own time, you can, it's hard work, but um, it's, it's possible anywhere. I think. Yeah. I, I traveling, I, I would fervently disagree with that as well. Like traveling doesn't um, allow you to discover yourself or find out who you are. I think what traveling does is, is gives you a platform for you to experience different elements of who you are but it doesn't create who you are. You're, you are using that as a way of, of experiencing yourself. Um, so do you need to travel to find who you are and to create who you are? I don't think you do. Um, you, could be, you could be creating a part of yourself. I want to be part Colombian. So I'm going to go to Colombia. <laughs> well, that's, you know, you're, you're trying to create who you are, right? If you do that, you're trying to say, okay, I want to reject a part of my identity and I want to be something else. And the only way for me to do that is to be in another country and to be in a, and absorb another culture. But, you know, it's, it's traveling, like if anything, what it does, it, it, it magnifies or exacerbates who you are already. Like if you're a, let's say, um, if you're a, you're a hedonistic type person and then you go to Colombia, there is because, and you're, you come from a rich country because, um, because of the, the difference in the exchange rates from the dollar to the peso, uh, you can you have so much economic power as a traveler. You know, if you take a thousand Australian or American dollars or, you know, you can, you, what you can do with that is incredible. Like the minimum wage for a Colombian is around 250, 300 US dollars a month. So if you take a thousand or 2000 or 3000, you can do some crazy shit. 
Um, so what does that do? If anything, it's going to exacerbate who you really are because you can, you can go as wild as you want to go, go and you're kind of untouchable by the, in lots of ways by the police, the police and, and you know, by authority and, you know, by even by the government as well. So say that again, I didn't hear you. As long as you have that external income, as long as your income is generated from outside of the, the country. Yes, because as you're, if you're a tourist, right? So if you're a tourist, mm. and I know a lot of people that, I know a guy that has come to Colombia for the last 20 years, man. He, he comes to Colombia for two to three months for, you know, for every year. And he, he basically, um, he, he just, he uses Colombia. I don't want to use the word uses, but he, he travels to Colombia and he, 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 he spends his vacation here in, in Colombia and spends, you know, maybe he spends 10,000 or maybe five to 10,000 us dollars in three months and you can do whatever you want. So it's, it's kind of like brings out the best and the worst in you as well. So I think that's something to be, um, to acknowledge, but you know, Emmanuel Kant, man, he's, he's, he was a genius within his realm and world. His world wasn't the external. It was the, the, uh, the, the philosophical and the mathematical, the philosophical of that world. Do you need to, you know, traveling is not going to give you that, you know, like traveling is not going to turn you into a doctor. Traveling is not going to turn you into, it might turn you into a, an observant philosopher, but it's not going to turn you into a physicist or a, you know, or a chemist or a biologist, right? You know, you, you can create your internal world. And I guess that's what you've been saying. You can create your internal world, regardless of where you are. That's an investment of you, your internal condition, your knowledge, your wisdom, and how you process and not in your ability to, to digest process knowledge. And you, that's an internal thing. And you can, you can do that anywhere. I mean, I didn't know it was like, um, Newton predicted the tides. Newton could predict how the tides would, 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 would roll in and roll out. So he pretty much wrote the chart on how the tides would work. He created the formula which proved how the tides would, would you know, wax and wane with the moon or whatever. Um, but he never saw the ocean. He never actually managed to get to see the ocean itself. So, Wow, that's really interesting. How is that, how is that possible? How is that possible? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it's, you know, if you understand gravity and... And planets and yeah. mathematics, like it's probably He's, for him, it was a, another language that was very obvious for him. Um, but, you know, like he looks I, up at the sky and he sees a big ball and he goes, that's like a cannonball going around the earth. And then he thinks more about that. And then he extrapolates to the, to the concept that it's pulling on the earth and it's pulling on the water and it's doing several things at once and yeah. forms mathematical formulations, form, forms causal relationships between absolutely and most people go to the to the beach and they don't see any of that mathematics or, or um, mm. physics right they only see that the you can water. sit there all day and never see the. you can sit there all day and never see the tide actually come in absolutely absolutely <laughs> so you know maybe it's it's you know the our internal world that we create for ourselves is probably just as powerful as the external world you know traveling is a great way of of filling the external world with specific memories but it's just a tool really. I think it's just a very good tool of, of um, it's, it's a, it's an, it's a, of personal growth, but there are many other tools that you can use, I think, to, to fill yourself up and to grow um, spiritually, emotionally, academically as well. My argument is my memory is so bad that 
I forget, you know, now, now that I'm thinking about my trip to China, yeah, I can piece a few things here and there together, but they're kind of like these flashes. I got a flash here, I got a flash there. It's like, oh yeah, that was a bit shit. That was all right. Oh, I can remember a little bit more, but it's not like <sighs> if I took a GoPro with me and I could sit there for the whole two week period or whatever and revisit every little, little last thing that happened, maybe I could appreciate that more. Um, but yeah, the, the memories kind of, my memory isn't good enough to remind me of what I learned or what I experienced or things like that. Yeah. Or maybe that you, maybe that, you know, there was, there was a, some parts were rushed, maybe some parts of it, you were thinking mm. about managing different things. Maybe you had your son and your wife and you were logistics and you were thinking about, you know, you, you had a, a boring. Yeah. You were, you processing other things from my personal experience. I will say though, you know, when I've lived in different countries, like I've spent three months in Malta um, and I've spent six years in Colombia now, nine months in Thailand, you know, three months backpacking around uh, Europe. I've done a couple of weeks in Mexico, Central America, you know, a couple of months in, I've been to Cuba three times. Um, I would say like each of those long trips, you know, once I've been in a country for at least a month or two have deeply impacted me where I felt like I've definitely absorbed and filled myself up spiritually and emotionally from that country and uh, has left me imprinted, you know, like on my very soul is, is the only way I can really describe it. It's just, you know, I'm never going to forget Cuba and the, and the suffering and the, the restrictions and the, the, the cars that were being ripped back into the ground by gravity that was slowly disintegrating. You know, I'm never going to forget that, that misery that I felt um, and the, and the, the oppression, um, so, you know, like I was there in Cuba and I was with an American he was like, Steve, this place is the, the world's most beautiful prison, you know, and those experiences definitely have, have shaped me and given me an awareness, or, but not just a, a, a cycle, not just a, a, an intellectual awareness, but like an emotional awareness that's, that's kind of permanently stuck with me. But I'm, I'm like that as a person, like I process things emotionally first and then I think about them uh, intellectually. So for me, I, I like it because I remember Cuba and I feel Cuba. Um, and that's why I've been back there, you know, three times because that country just was so powerful to me that I was like, I wanted to go back and I wanted to go back again. And I still would like to go back and I wanted to take my wife. And I, I finally convinced her to come with me and she came and she hated the place, but she loved it at the same time. And she was like, this is painful. And she, she, but when she came back to Colombia, she just, had so much more respect for Colombia and appreciation for everything that we had. So it, it really changed her point of view of what a Latin American country was, because, you know, if anyone that hasn't been to Cuba, it's basically, it's still a communist country that hasn't been touched for, you know, since, um, since the 1950s or basically since Castro. Yeah. yeah since, since the, the Cuban revolution, you know, the way um, Castro and Brazil. Che Guevara. Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Sorry. There's big old, there's big old yellow buses. They'd be from the fifties and sixties. Yeah. They're, they're American. They're, they're, they're actually like, well, they're not American. The, there's buses, the, the American buses get, they get shipped off to like Central America once they, they're used. Um, you're going to, yeah. That, but what I've found with, because there's, there's is, what I'm saying there is that there's that remnants of American culture that's still there. Um, For the revolution before the revolution that's right so mm. you know when you go there a long time ago absolutely and that was in the early 50s like you see you still see mm. like old tvs you see like old typewriters you see stuff like a world class buildings that are just 
like decrepit falling apart with all this old machinery mm. that wouldn't exist mm. in a developed country. It'd be all you know, obsolete, but the, it still exists mm. there. And it's just, it's mm. really, you know, like from a political point of view and, you know, once Castro took over with Che Guevara and they started to um, deal with geopolitical politics and, and do badly at creating, um, you know, a harmonious mm. geopolitical relationship, like that country is still frozen in time in, in lots of ways. And, and they're living in the past. Like I could talk a lot about Cuba, but you know, I'll wrap this up, but they're living in the past because if you turn on the television, they're still talking about the revolution every day. You know, we're so proud. Like the revolution was like 50 years ago, like longer. Yeah. Like 70 years ago. Like why are you still talking about this shit? Like, you know, you had your revolution, you got your independence from the United States. Okay. Kudos to you. But, you know, it's time to move forward, you know, but that experience just in that one country. And I've, I've spent now in that country, like, like three months, right. That that's always going to be deeply embedded in me. And I've, and I've got such a fascination, appreciation and deep humbling respect for that country. It's, it was a truly magnificent um, traveling experience. So I've watched plenty of documentaries on Cuba. I uh, read a couple of books on, you know, the Cold War, which always sort of goes back to Cuba. Sure. Um, I've seen documentaries on Ernest Hemingway, which spoke from that perspective of Cuba. Um, documentaries on um, uh, what's what's Habana? What's what's, yeah, what's the capital, the capital there? Havana. 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 Yeah. Havana. Yeah. So. So um some watched some documentary on that and you know the, the guys were going through with a HD camera and as you were talking then I felt like I, I was there with you um looking in through this person's house and it's being held up by um what do you call it scaffolding and you know steel pins holding the roof up because you know for 50 years it's been neglected and there's been no state infrastructure or no sort of capital coming in to sort of help develop the country so I'm I'm at this level where. I have an understanding of of the world through a lens like that, but it takes me to meet someone like you who's actually like really experienced it to like confirm the reality that yeah, this is real. And I'll be like, yeah, I, I've I've seen it all before. I've I've seen it from the cave. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. And do you like? Do you not feel like that's what kind of happened to me? Like I went to a, a cafe in, in Penrith, Western Sydney of of, uh, of Australia. And I remember sitting in this cafe and it had like a bunch of panaphernalia. Um, Is that the right word? Yeah. Or like historical artifacts that were, and, mm. and I saw pictures of uh, Castro and, and the, the Cuban flag. It was like a Cuban. And I mm. just, you know, this was like, now this was a long time ago. And I just became, I knew a little bit about Cuba, but I became fascinated. And I'm like, why is it? Mm. And I remember just reading and reading and reading. And I did the same thing and I filled, filled That's myself simple. up. Yeah, there's lots of that. The the star and, and Che Guevara, um, you know, he Che Guevara is is a symbol himself, right? That I think that picture of Che Guevara that he's um, wearing that cap, you know, and he's smoking. I think he's smoking. No, he's just looking in the distance. That's one of the most famous pictures in, on the planet. Um, they say in, in the probably in the Western world, and the one of the most you know famously or most uh, frequently reproduced photos in history, and. It's ironic, right? Because Che Guevara be, sorry. 
yeah, 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 of course, yeah. Yeah, and che- it's ironic because Che Guevara would be pissed off that everyone's making money out of the capitalist adventure, like, you know, adventures. But um, I remember doing the same thing. And I just, the more that I learned about the complexities of the Cold War, about the connection between Russia, Cuba, uh, the the Cold War almost turning into a hot war, um, like the political tension, that was just so fascinating. And the embargo, the... Um, but also like the, 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 the nationalism, um, you know, the, the patriot, the patriotism, like everything at the ideology, the ideology, that's, that's the word, you know, like how a country becomes so embedded in an ideology, uh, and it, it becomes a part of their identity. And even though the one thing that I've, you know, but the one thing of being there is you feel that and you absorb that suffering and it's really, it, I think it changes you because you can con- conceptualize it from an academic point of view and appreciate it. But I think if you went there, it would give you another layer of experience that I, I, I feel is deeply enriching. Like I've sacrificed a lot of my financial gains and financial potential in this world to, to, to prioritize that experience and feeling over uh, acu- acquiring ac- um, economic wealth. So I feel like that, that, the motions that I absorbed and I haven't been to Hemingway's house or like I haven't done the Hemingway tours. Uh, but I feel like the emotions that I absorbed, the conversations that I had getting my Spanish good enough so I could talk to Cubans on the street and hear what they were saying and understand them. Those experiences really, yeah. Cubans are, are difficult. That Those experiences deeply affected me and I felt very, very grateful um, and humbled by those experiences. I said that'd be cool to speak to the Cubans in their natural language. Oh, I thought Learning you said it was difficult. Yeah. Spanish. No. It'd be yeah. very cool to, you know, that, 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 what do you call it? Learning a language and then being able to speak it with the native people population would be great. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's still hard for me. So I'm not, you know, like I'm not like C1 fluent as, but, you know, I can get most of what they're saying. And, and if I can't get it, my wife can. And sometimes she can't get it, mm-hmm. you know, but, you mm-hmm. know, like you, you can definitely, you talk to people and they'll tell you very direct with you. Like some, some either love the revolution and they're very proud of it. And some are deeply resentful. And they'll say the revolution was just a, it's just politics. They'll just say, it's hard, you know, look, revolution, look at what we have. They'll say, look at what we have. Look where we are. We don't have enough money. Look, look at the street. Look at the houses that are falling down. I don't have electricity in my house, you know, and they'll, they'll be very resentful. And other people are like, you know, you know, look what look what we have. We've got free education. We've got basically uh, free health. We've got f- uh, free housing. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got almost free medical supplies. You know, and the, and they have a staple salary. Um, and Cuba has changed in the last 15, 20 years with the introduction of private licenses. And but it's still very select, and it's still very difficult. Like to buy a taxi is like twenty thousand American dollars to buy an old taxi, and. Um, you know, they, they earn like between 20 and $40 uh, US um, a month. So how in the world, like is, how in the world is somebody that, you know, is getting paid 20 to $40 by the state going to afford a, a taxi that's $20,000, right? They have to, they either have to launder that money in the country or they have to have some kind of uh, political connection, you know, or, or basically corruption because, the other thing about Cuba, the, in, the in, inequality in Cuba is phenomenal. Like we, we drove through parts of the, the, the city and there's like, there's just um, 
just poverty everywhere. And then we drive past, you know, in some of the others, uh, like really touristy towns and there's mansions. And I'm like, who the hell is living in these mansions? You know, aren't these people making $20 or $40 a month? And how are these people living in these huge waterside properties that are worth millions of dollars? You know, how did they get that? So there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of corruption and inequality and abject inequality. It's, it's just horrible. So, um, you know, like I'm just using Cuba as an example that I could talk about Cuba for hours and hours. And I experienced it as a, as a tourist, let's be very clear, not as a Cuban. And I didn't live like a Cuban, but I saw and I spoke to them and I felt it. And I felt the pain and suffering and oppression and frustration. And my heart just wept for, for them. So I'll leave it there. Leave it there. I've muted you. Um. I'd probably say there's some aspects of society that, you know, would be different to Western culture, probably find that people there might be, you know, even friendlier or happier or more amicable, easygoing, you know, contented with their lifestyle in, in, in some ways, I guess, you know, they have less, to, maybe, maybe they, they do suffer equally as we do, but I guess they have less, less to complain about. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. And there's definitely that element of like, there is lots of beauty. Like I saw boys, like young boys that are six years old playing soccer in the dirt and the dust, you know, just in aesthetics. They didn't have, when I was there, not the last time, but the time before that was in 2016, mobile phones weren't really a thing in 2016. They didn't really have the internet. So everyone was forced to be in the moment. Um, you know, that were just internet was basically only possible at, ho you know, rich hotels and, and, um, where else like designated uh, internet zones, like the park, for example, they were like, you know, approved spaces to use the internet. So the, there was like kids playing soccer on the street, kids boxing on the street, old people playing chess and dice and cards, you know, everybody walking around um, people on the street all the time, just sitting around and either drinking, you know, rum is very cheap there. You know, the uh, Havana club rum is produced in obviously in Cuba. So that's really cheap. You know, people just sitting around dancing, lots of dancing, man. Oh God, the bars are full oh, of people yeah. dancing and salsa. Like, um, you know, I'm not sure if salsa came out of Cuba. I think, I think, uh, it was, I think it, some of it did. I'm not sure. You know, mm -hmm. I have to check that, Mike. But um, yeah, man, the people are living okay. in the moment, bro. Living mm -hmm. in the in the moment and very, very, mm -hmm. very real. And so. Yeah, in lots of ways, man. Definitely, uh, they're a lot less. They're a lot less distracted, but at the same time, they're a lot less distracted from their pain, you know. Um, and when I went there in, uh, you know, two thousand and twenty-one, I was there. I was in there for two thousand and December two thousand and twenty, and I stayed to two thousand and twenty-one January. It was very different because mobile phones had become like a thing it was cheaper and more people had them and internet was more you well, internet was basically ubiquitous ubiquitous at that point i was able to buy a, a, a illegally a sim card and data which was about 50 um us dollars for for a sim card and, and some data i think i had about eight gig um and everyone had phones now and it was kind of like that old cuba that you'd see people riding on bikes it's it's pe people are now very they're very connected to the modern world because it's it's what what the Castro regime didn't want was that people are getting an idea of how the rest of the world is living, and they're comparing themselves. They're looking at you know American trends. They're looking at American freedom. They're looking at 
uh, American work opportunities. They're looking at, you know, the what the rest of the world has got and what the Cuban people haven't got, haven't got. And it's very juxtaposed because there is so much oppression. So, you know, it, it's a very autocratic country. Like you, as a, as a tour, as a, a local Cuban, you can't, you're not even meant to really talk to tourists. You're not allowed to talk to tourists, um, you know, you know, unless you're selling them something, you know, and there's lots of fraud there that happens. There's lots of scams because, you know, if you, as soon as you get off the plane, you'll find Cubans walk up to you and go, Hey man, uh, you know, we just, just finished work. And there's some, you know, cheap Cuban cigars that we've got from the factory that the same ones that, you know, Castro used to smoke himself and uh, normally they're $200, but we're going to sell them for like a hundred, you know, come to my house and I'll show you. And they take you to their house and they tell you a story and they, they sell you these cigars and they, you know, they, they bring you into their houses and they make you coffee and they make you give you a shot of rum and, you know, they make you feel very uh, welcome. And, and then they sell you these, these Cuban cigars that, you know, they, they earn like three times their, their month salary in five minutes. And they turn out to be fake cigars that are made out of banana, dried banana leaves. And they make you sick if you smoke them or they're, 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 they're copies and they're, you know, they're fake, they're fake cigars. And they, you know, they're, they're worth like $10 for a, for a box instead of, you know, a hundred. So there's, with all the, with all the oppression, Cuban people, a lot of them have looked for ways of trickery and deception as a, as, as a way of, of trying to overcome corruption as a way of overcoming the suffering by manipulating foreigners and, and tricking them out of their money. So everywhere on the street, there's always some scanner, scammer that will come up to you and try to, this is in Havana, you know, try to, Hey man, where are you from? And, you know, people that will come up to you and engage in conversations and they will either ask for money or they'll trick you into something or they'll take you to a bar and they'll tell you about their autistic son, you know, that needs money. And, you know, they'll, they, they want tips, you know, it's, it's, it's created a lot of, um, the inequities created a lot of desperation and, and foreigners and tourists are used as, uh, as like a life supplies of, of making a quick dollar, uh, that they use to alleviate the pain. I'm going to stop now. You've had all those experiences, like talking about people pulling you over on the side of the street and telling you sad, you know, sympathy stories to get money out of you. All those are true stories. Oh yeah. We had this. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like all of them are true stories. Mm. We had this young girl mm. that we were walking and she was walking. She just started walking up beside us and she was like, Oh, what are you guys doing? And like, we, we started talking to her, like we kind of knew where it was going to go. And then, yeah, she was, she started telling us that she had an autistic son and she needed, she was broke and she needed money. And she wanted to take us to restaurants. And I'm like, listen, you know, we've, I've been, this is my third time in Cuba. I know how the country works. You know, my Spanish isn't that good, but I know how the country works. And she was just, she just said, Oh, look, I'm just really desperate for money. And that's not even talking about, and she, you know, she, we gave her a little bit of money and she was, she went on her way. Um, and a lot of the women as well, like women that are married, um, prostitute themselves to foreigner men and, and the men, the Cuban men know about it, but they, they tolerate it because they, they know that if, if my wife goes and sleeps with a foreigner and makes, you know, 50 or a hundred dollars, it's kind of worth it, you know, in their eyes, because, they're not really cheating. Um, if they bring a hundred dollars home for, for 15 minutes work, that's more than they can produce in three months or two months. So they tolerate it. So there's a lot of women that they, um, yeah, they, they basically prostitute themselves and they go to hotels and they look for foreigner men and they, um, you know, they, they, they make money that way. And the husbands know about it. You know, they, 
I remember I was with this girl, you know, and I met her at, I met her at a hotel and, you know, we, we went out and she told me that the dude that she was with, with her brother. And, you know, I was, this is the first time I was in Cuba. I was drinking and dancing with this girl and, and, um, you know, hitting on her a bit. And, um, you know, I realized that the, her brother was getting really upset and it wasn't because it was her brother. It was probably a boyfriend and she was, you know, trying to just get money out of me. So it's just a really wild place, man. Like, you know, people are desperate. They'll just do anything to, to, to kind of live. And the best con artists, they're really, really uh, eloquent speakers to, to get money out of tourists. And, you know, it is what it is. You know, once you understand that, you just, you got to be respectful and, and careful when you can, you can move through the country without it too, too many problems. But, you know, I, it's given me a really deep understanding of why the people are, are trying to exploit foreigners not doing it for fun they're doing it out of necessity and it's it's again it comes out of a place of deep sadness and deep suffering and exploitation is actually probably happening but in both directions equally anyway so yeah it, rich, it beca- rich, rich foreigners yeah. well it becomes a business transaction right and and foreigners that are aware of how it works it's, it's fine you know you foreigners go there and they pay for women and they pay for a girlfriend and they have you know they ha- they might have a couple of cuban girlfriends and it's, it's funny as well, like um, really good looking, really attractive young men, like very, very attractive young men. And they will be with a woman, you know, they're in, they're, they're in their 20s, they're 25, you know, I'm, I'm sure well endowed. And they're with, um, you know, 40, 50 year old, even up 60 year old woman on the beach right and the woman is she's obviously not cuban she's from germany she's from france she's from you know maybe she's from the states you know he's just you know hola mi amor you know like he he's talking sweet to us so that she you know he's basically got himself a a permanent cash cow you know these these women sending them money and they go to cuba and and they um they basically have a, a you know a full time toy boy to use whenever they want, and they just they just give them money. So that happens a lot, man. I've seen that a lot in Cuba, where just really good looking dudes ripped with fifty year old women uh, from from Europe or from anywhere else that have you know uh, you know a lot stronger currency, and they live in a capitalistic society. They make more money in a day than these people make in a month, which is pretty pretty it's wild. It's funny. It's just funny that that that's. Um... That's a standout thing for us, you know, to think that oh, you know, uh, an old an old bag would hook up with a, a young a young lad kind of thing. Where if you say the other way around, whereas an old man hooking up with a younger lady, it sort of makes more sense for us, you know, a bit more socially acceptable. But the other way around, is sort of like you know, that dirty old bitch kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's weird both ways. I'm like, on. It's, yeah, Good it's on weird. Them. It's weird yeah. both ways, but it's it's. It's yeah. not as it's not as um, you know known or as common or as, as kind of socially acceptable, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you know it's kind of like a woman being so you know flamboyant with her sexuality, or it's the it's obvious that it's like a business transaction. Um, so it's it kind of it it can be a little bit unsettling, you know. But man, if you go to Thailand and the the things that happen that I've seen in the in the touristy parts of that country is is you know just as pure debauchery um you know so it, it, it definitely does go both ways but this is that's another thing is is what we're getting onto here is is the exploitation of you know rich countries and poor countries and and how tourism actually damages 
a country, um, how tourism and travel actually destroys an economy and yeah. damages a community in, instead of instead of enhancing it or, or, or contributing. I want to, I want to enjoy so I want to experience something so you know the cost of that is you know the the world has to pay for it or you know local community or whatever. Well, yeah, I tell you in Colombia like in Cartagena in Medellin there's lots of foreigners and you know like everybody tries to sell you drugs in the touristy parts there's lots of prostitution you know like it's kind of like all the bars there's lots of scammers all the bars you know people have people Colombians learn English because they learn how to deal with foreigners like prices are different it's, it's uh, you know cities are gentrified now and um, you know it's a lot of people well some people make a lot of money but at the same time there's a lot of um you know, a lot of hedonistic things happen, you know, in, underneath the cover of darkness. And, you know, you think to yourself, it, are these foreigners, you know, there's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of business transactions. There's a lot of, you know, if you go to, if you go to these cities and you're a foreigner and you, you talk to a Colombian girl, you're like, hi, I'm from the Australia. They're like, yeah, so what? We, we, we've seen enough of you in our lifetime. Right. And if you go to Medellin or Catana, yeah, even here in, in Bogota, it's kind of like that, where they're not that impressed just because you're a foreigner. And if you go to like a smaller city, it's it's totally different because they're still intrigued. But the foreigners have kind of, you know, it's I don't want to say made it, the, it's de- the dynamics have definitely changed. So, you know, that's, that's I guess, a, it's a little bit of a trap for a country um, where then foreigners can also behave very badly. Uh, they, they can also break the law with impunity, you know, and then, you know, they, they can use these places as, as a, you know, as a, as a playground. Um, and, you know, ethically it's, it's very depraved, you know, like you can, you can sort of, <laughs> you can sort of go to these places and act out all your kind of dark fantasies and um, basically, you know, with impunity and then, and then just go back to your own country and then forget about it ever happened. That's a lot of problems as well with sex trafficking and sex trafficking is one thing when you have two consenting, you know, like that's not sex trafficking, sex trafficking, trafficking when it comes to uh, minors is a big thing in a lot of like in the Philippines, in Thailand, in Colombia. So yeah, it's, it's, so there is, there is a dark side of tourism, right? Obviously there's a dark side of, of what it means to, you know, the price of drugs, for example, in Colombia are a lot cheaper than they are in Australia. What do you think a lot of young, you know, young men are going to do when they, you know, they pay through the nose for some drugs in Australia and they go to Colombia and it's, you know, $10, $50 in Colombia. You don't want to know the things you can buy in Colombia with $50. So, mm. <clears throat> yeah. But I don't know. Have you okay. thought about, have you thought about traveling anywhere else? Like, I was, I was, I was going to tie up the, the podcast with um, connecting this podcast with the last podcast and um, comparing travel t- to being like um, the cave. <laughs> yeah, do that, please. Because the whole idea of, um, it, it's a bit hard to sort of talk between the three of us, but the whole idea of um, Pl- Pl- Plato's philosophy is of rationalism and the idea of um, sense perception being fake. Everything that you see around you is just an illusion, something to distract you from from the true meaning, the true good, the true reality of the world. And I think by um, by thinking, by giving $2,000 to a travel agency and thinking you're going to go and have a good time, um, become enlightened by experiencing another country, I think it's kind of deceiving yourself. 
to a degree. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when it's a distraction. And I know people that travel because they, they, they're just looking for, they're looking for a distraction. They're looking for some alleviation. Mm. They're looking for, um, they're looking to forget about pressures and their anxiety and a broken marriage or a relationship. And they're just wanting to, to separate themselves from that. You know, it's, mm. yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it, it, I guess it could become another psychological cave where you're in your own country and then you go traveling in a, in a country, but you're really just in a bubble. And, um, you know, you're just, you're just really exploiting that country to some, or you're just being selfish about the way that you're using it. No, I've always wanted to travel around the world. Um, but, but I feel like teaching English is a great way you're giving to the community at the same time you're receiving. So it's kind of like this symbiosis, right. And you, it's, it's positive, Mm -hmm. but uh, you know, I, I felt like a traveler and a tourist. I feel like I'm just taking, 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 it doesn't really feel good. It doesn't feel like you're doing a lot of good to the community. Um, but you know, to wrap this up, what do you, what would I say to young people? Like, you know, what would you say to young people about travel? You know, and there's a lot I could say, but I think as you mentioned, Alan, is that if if you're traveling around, you should have your eyes open, be in the moment, learn, be respectful, um, you know, have empathy and then think about what the, what the consequences of your actions are. And that's, that's the first thing. And think about understand the, the the historical political situation to understand why things are the way that they are uh, and then be respectful of that and with that awareness maybe you can go a bit deeper and appreciate um, the fact that you can be in that country and and do the things that you want to do well if you want to delve into any especially thinking about today uh, what is it january 26 2022 um, Australia Day in Australia, Invasion Day, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you want to look at history or culture or the lineal progression which has led you to a particular place in the world, it's all around you. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, you can find it in a tangible sense in right in front of you or down the street or within 50 kilometres of your house or you can open a book, you can Google it, you can you can sit there and just think about it. So. absolutely many ways yeah it's right Mm. there in front of you if you look for it absolutely all right alan create it you can go find it somewhere else so you can find it right in front of yourself so Mm. yeah and you know and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people don't realize the magnificence or the historical significance of what's around you and appreciate that because Mm. you know even in a colonized country like australia when it's got it's got a couple hundred years of british history and and you know 40 to sixty thousand you know, years of Aboriginal history, like how mm. many, how many people have traveled around Australia and looked at Aboriginal art and spoken to Aboriginal yeah. people and gone mm. to, uh, gone to sacred lands and understand, um, as rock, you know, or, you know, as rock is labeled by the, the, the English, you know, Uluru labeled by the, you know, the indigenous people understanding and, 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 and walking in the shoes of, of that culture. Like that's something that I would like to do. I haven't done, so you're right, man. There's a lot of history right in front mm. of us and maybe we should be a little bit more aware of it and respectful of it and take some time to absorb it before it's mm. you know, before looking for it in somewhere else. So after this, I'll probably go for a, a drive down the road to the local park where they've sort of got, I think it's like the second settlement of Australia in Parramatta and they've got a few of the old original kind of sort of shacks from 18, 1810 or 1790 when they first sort of built them and you kind of, you can sort of, do this time trip in your mind where you kind of go back in time and imagine what it must have been like before the 
before the white settlement sort of become um, so prevalent. And on that note, I'd like to thank the the native inhabitants of this um, of this great land of ours. Um, you know putting up with us after the, the, the past 200 years, you know, um, we're very blessed to be part of this land and um, very, very grateful to live in Australia. I yeah. Well, we should, we should know like where it, where it came from before. <clears throat> and we should be mm. like, I don't They looked I, after it so well for so long. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand. This is another conversation for another time. Like, you know, you, you get onto Instagram, you watch these, you, you look at these um, pictures, historical pictures, and there's trigger warnings right and there's trigger warnings on historical photos now it's like trigger warning australian soldiers receiving food after being in a concentration camp and they're all emancipated emancipated emaciated is the word they're all emaciated and um you know i'm just like i don't this is another conversation for maybe another podcast but like why are people so triggered or, or you know emotionally like offended by the reality that you know australia is conquered lands you know it's the reality is that you know what is colonization and it's a brutal devastating murderous bloody thing and it's 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 not pretty like and we should be aware of that you know we should be aware of um the reality of colonization and what it, the the people that were there before and what happened to them you know 80 percent dying of um of the common cold in australia because of no immunity to the influenza virus right mm -hmm. Kind of virus. Yeah. Not to mention the massacres in Tasmania, but again, leave mm. that for another day. Mm. Definitely. Yeah, cool. All right, Alan. Well, thanks for yeah. thanks for having me here. Great conversation. I appreciate right. your thoughts of uh appreciate your thoughts. You've 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 provoked yeah, me. Seen, you might have even triggered good. me. You might even have triggered me a little bit too. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>